Welcome to the Red Light Report, your number one source for all things red light therapy, where you will learn how to optimize your health, wellness, and longevity with the power of photobiomodulation. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Belkowski. Hey there, guys. Welcome back to another solo sode of the Red Light Report. Uh, this is your host, Dr. Mike Belkowski, and we're over two-thirds of the way through summer, so I hope everyone has had fun traveling had fun with their friends and family, most importantly being safe and getting their sunlight and or red light therapy to keep your immune system, mitochondrial health at bay or optimized, I should say. So I hope everyone's having a good summer as things are wrapping up. In today's solo sode, I just want to go over a couple of uh, pieces of information, some principles of red light therapy, namely kind of bringing some clarity to how and why Red light therapy works for so many different things. I'll be quoting uh, one of the top photobiomodulation experts to speak to that point, Dr. Michael Hamblin. I also want to go over briefly the concept of how red light therapy can work for improving sleep with melatonin. Because as we know, melatonin is primarily produced in the pineal gland, which is deep, deep, deep in the brain, which cannot be reached with a standard red light therapy panel. I want to explain how and why red light therapy panels can still help with improving sleep via melatonin production. And then, as always with solo sodes, I want to bring some fun and interesting photobiomodulation research uh, to you guys. One of them is very interesting as far as whether or not red light therapy is as effective as cold water immersion or like a cold water bath or a cold water plunge, I should say, post-exercise, and does that help with recovery? Which one's better, cold water immersion or red light therapy? You're about to find out. And then also, uh, just some two other brief pieces of photobiomodulation research that are hot off the press this month, August 2021, and both of them have to do with oral health, so it'll be interesting, especially with now BioLite recently releasing The Guardian, which was made specifically for improving oral health and uh, your microbiome and the mitochondria in your oral cavity. So those will be a couple of fun pieces of research to go over as well. But let's start off with kind of bringing some clarity to the mechanisms and the many mechanisms of red light therapy. We can get really deep in the trenches when we get into the physiology and all the various mechanisms and theories of how red light therapy works. And there are just numerous different physiological, biochemical mechanisms that the researchers have identified as being affected by red and near-infrared light. But for the purposes of clarity and simplicity, and, and for this podcast, I don't want to get extra deep into the scientific vernacular, but I do want to bring some clarity and, and make sure people understand how and why red light therapy can work in so many different ways. Like I said in the beginning, in the intro there, I really do want to quote Dr. Michael Hamblin, who is considered the top photobiomodulation researcher in the world out of Harvard, because we know that, for example, the thyroid, we know if you have hypothyroid, it can help modulate or normalize that. If you have hyperthyroid, red light therapy can also help normalize that. In the case of hypo, it can bring it to homeostasis by bringing more 
energy, if you will, to the thyroid. And when in hyperthyroid, it helps modulate it or kind of pull it back to homeostasis. So red light therapy can work in both ways. It can modulate it up, it can modulate it down, which is what makes red light therapy so versatile and so special. And so I want to bring in, of course, Dr. Michael Hamblin. And in one of his textbooks, in his photobiomodulation textbooks in 2018, he summarizes the mechanisms of red light therapy here. And it's kind of a long quote here, so so bear with me, but it's it's worth reading and hearing. So here it goes. Light irradiation using a low power density has been reported as non-invasive, non-carcinogenic, non-traumatic procedure that can provide a therapeutic benefit to many diseases and medical conditions. And that has been reported to have few, if any, side effects. In addition, photobiomodulation is used to improve human wellness with aesthetic and cosmetic applications, improvements in sports performance, and has diverse veterinary applications. The biomodulation achieved by photobiomodulation allows it to be applied in situations that can be apparently paradoxical because it can sometimes be used to stimulate cells and tissues, and in other situations it can inhibit the same biological effect. For this reason, photobiomodulation is referred to many researchers as a regulator or modulator because it restores the organism to homeostasis. Moreover, there is considerable evidence of the systemic effects of photobiomodulation, which means that application to one side of the body can produce an improvement of a condition in another distant body part that did not receive the light. Systemic effects can be explained by local effects of light that can be transferred to other sites through the circulating blood via the lymphatic system or via the nervous system. So that's the end of the quote. And so, you know, that summary brings up quite a few interesting points from Dr. Hamblin. Uh, The first is that paradoxical effect, kind of like I alluded to with, with the thyroid, you can treat it, the thyroid, whether it's hyper or hypo, and again, this is just an example, this is not medical advice, but with red light therapy, you can essentially use the same spectra of light, you can use the same intensity of light, the same duration of treatment, yet the light will have differing effects on the tissue. And, and in the words of you know Dr. Hamblin, a paradoxical effect in the sense that In some situations, it can stimulate the the cells and tissues, and in other situations, it can inhibit the same biological effect. I mean, think about inflammation. Red light therapy is notorious for, quote-unquote, reducing inflammation, but again, I believe the more uh, proper or appropriate term would be modulate inflammation, because if if your inflammation is at bay, then using red light therapy is not going to reduce the inflammation even more, because you're already at homeostasis. But if you are dealing with an injury, if you are dealing with pain, if you are dealing with stress or some sort of stress load that's given you systemic inflammation, then yes, red light therapy will help reduce that inflammation. But if you are already at baseline, if you are already at homeostasis, using red light therapy isn't going to reduce it even further because you wouldn't want that. I mean, inflammation is there for a reason. It's a red flag. It's a warning sign that something is going on. So of course, you wouldn't want to go below zero. I mean, that's not even possible. So so again, that's what makes red light therapy so versatile. That's what makes it so safe is that you're not going to have this effect where you're going to go 
below where you want to go or you're not going to go above where you want to go. Red light therapy is simply a modulator of your mitochondria and thus your energy production in your cells and thus your cells are going to carry out the duties that they need to repair growth, mobility, reproduction, what have you in order to attain homeostasis. So if you're already in homeostasis, then again, red light therapy, red and near infrared light can be used proactively as a way of boosting your overall health, wellness, and longevity just by keeping your mitochondria more robust and able to more efficiently produce energy. That's really what it's all about. So that's one of the first points that's interesting is that red light therapy is really a modulator. It's not an increaser of anything. It's not a decreaser of anything. It is a modulator. And then secondly, he brings up a great point about the systemic effect. And I get this question a lot uh, from customers or, or friends and family. For example, if you have a smaller device and you're wanting to get really a full body effect, people are wondering, if I treat just my face or if I treat just my upper body, am I going to get any benefits anywhere else? The short answer is yes. And as Dr. Michael Hamblin said, that's achieved by treating uh, with red light therapy at a local area, let's say your face or arm, and through the circulatory system, through the lymphatic system, through the nervous system, you're going to get a systemic response. Now, with that being said, it doesn't mean if you have lower back pain, you should be treating your face and expecting your back pain to get better. But in a nutshell, you will get systemic effects if you looked at your blood markers, if you looked at inflammatory markers, so on and so forth. You would see an effect, let's say, in your legs or in your lower body if you were to treat just your upper body consistently. So that's a long-winded way of saying you can get systemic effects even if you don't treat your entire body all the time, but you will get the most efficacious or most effective uh, results if you're wanting systemic effects, by treating with a full body device, of course. I love that summarization by Dr. Hamblin because it brings up a couple good points of red light therapy being a modulator and the fact that you do get systemic effects virtually every time that you use red light therapy. You just have to understand that the power of the systemic effects aren't going to be as big if you were to use a full body device. Moving on to that concept or that idea of melatonin production because we know that like i alluded to in the introduction a lot of the melatonin or most of the melatonin endogenous production is produced in the pineal gland or pineal gland depending on how you pronounce it and that is deep deep in the brain again if you're using an led panel even most lasers you're not going to get light all the way through the skull through all that brain tissue to the pineal gland to have a therapeutic effect. You would essentially have to have a surgery, an intracranial implantation to have some sort of LED or light device that would be able to emit light onto the pineal gland. Potentially through intranasal, you'd have to have some very powerful light even there. But again, you'd essentially have to have some sort of intracranial implantation. So that beckons the question, if that's the case, then how can red light therapy with these LED panels actually have a therapeutic effect or a, a beneficial effect to melatonin production? It's because there is what's called extrapineal or above the pineal, meaning outside of the pineal production of melatonin that can be produced outside of the pineal gland. That's because melatonin can be produced 
in many organs throughout our body, um, including the skin, the spleen, kidneys, the gut, and so on and so forth. When you are trying to improve your sleep or improve your circadian rhythm with red light therapy, I guess it's just good to know that the melatonin production that you may be having as a result of red light therapy treatments isn't coming from the pineal gland, but it's coming from those extra pineal producers or extra pineal organs that are helping produce melatonin systemically. Again, the skin, gut, uh, spleen, kidneys, so on and so forth. It's just interesting. And then it's good to know that because melatonin is not only for improving sleep. Melatonin has critical roles in protecting the mitochondria from damage and supporting glutathione levels. Glutathione is one of our master antioxidants and detoxifying compounds. And some researchers have even suggested that this increased melatonin may be a significant factor in the effects of red and near-infrared light. Even by just shining light on your skin, shining light in your gut area where there's a lot of other extrapineal organs, you seem to have increased endogenous production of melatonin even though you're not directly affecting the pineal gland. And again, like when I've interviewed some of my previous podcast guests, namely Dr. Tyler Jean, who's a naturopathic doctor, he reminded me that melatonin is not only good for helping with sleep or falling asleep and and maintaining a a deeper sleep cycle, but it does have anti-inflammatory benefits, antioxidant benefits, of course, with the helping with glutathione production. It has anti-cancer effects, anti-carcinogenic, anti- tumor, anti-cancer effects. So there's many uses, you know, whether you're taking a melatonin supplement and or trying to increase your endogenous production, but it's just good to know that just shining light upon your body, uh, red light therapy upon your body seems to have a positive effect with producing systemic uh, melatonin. This podcast was brought to you by the Longev Revive Cream. If you haven't heard of this cream before, go back and listen to the podcast interview with David Horanek, one of the people that helped create this amazing cream. The cream is specifically developed to enhance red light therapy treatment sessions. And not only that, but improve vibrational healing from the frequencies of full spectrum sunlight. The Revive includes special ingredients such as photodynamic amino acids, which helps convert UV light to red light, It increases production of this thing called fibronectin, which is said to be the holy grail of anti-aging. And then there's astaxanthin, which has been shown in clinical studies to increase skin moisture, moisture retention, and elasticity. There's turmeric, which contains an antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, and antimicrobial properties. There's copper peptides, which also has antioxidant, anti-inflammatory effects. C60 has high antioxidant power to prevent skin aging, 172 times more than vitamin C. And then there's also geranium rose, shungite, humic acids. And most of these ingredients are organic and they're all high, high quality. So if you want to check this cream out, go to longev.com, that's L-O-N-G-E-V-V.com, or you can also find it on biolite.shop. That's biolite.shop. So with that being said, let's move on to the research. And this first piece of research, which is going to be our most thorough, uh, thoroughly discussed piece of research in this solo sode, has to do with cold water immersion versus red light therapy in terms of muscle recovery 
after high-intensity exercise in athletes. So which one's better, red light therapy or these ever-popularly growing cold baths or cold plunges or even cryotherapy chambers? But for the purpose of this uh, research, which was conducted in 2010, was published in the Lasers in Medical Science Journal, is looking specifically at cold water immersion like in a tub. This research had six volunteers who were young male football players in Brazil at the highest national sporting level, as they put it. And so the participants were scheduled to receive either cold water immersion therapy, active LED therapy, so not lasers, but LED, red light therapy, or placebo LED therapy in a random manner. And so they were randomly assigned one of those three treatments. And during all sessions, whether it was day one, day eight, or day 15, the participants received a single treatment of active LED or placebo LED or um, the cold water immersion. And so with the LED treatments, they were using cluster diodes that had 34 red LEDs at 660 nanometers and 35 LED diodes with near-infrared at 850 nanometers. The 660 nanometers for red and the 850 nanometers for near-infrared is widely used on the red light therapy market. So all BioLite products utilize the 660 nanometers for red, 850 nanometers for near-infrared. The active red light therapy or placebo red light therapy were administered exactly five minutes after the exercise test. And the exercise test that was used was a Wingate test, which is on a stationary bike. And if you've ever done a Wingate test, you know that it is hell on earth. When I was in my exercise science program, I had to do that multiple times. And you get very lightheaded, typically throw up, you do not feel well. But it is the one way to push yourself to extreme maximal exertion levels. So for the point of this research, they're trying to do high intensity exercise. So they had these soccer players doing Wingate tests. And again, they were doing either red light therapy, placebo red light therapy, or a cold water immersion five minutes after the Wingate test. They took blood lactate levels after they did the cold water plunge or the red light therapy. And they, so they, again, they looked at blood lactate they looked at uh, muscle damage and inflammation measured by creatine kinase activity and C-reactive protein levels. So again, creatine kinase is going to look at the muscle damage, like muscle micro tears in the muscle. And then the C-reactive protein is going to be looking at the inflammation. In the discussion portion of the article, it's important to mention that there's no differences observed in the performance of the football athlete's or in baseline values of the biochemical markers between the three exercise sets. So meaning that their baseline values weren't different from test to test. The baseline was very similar. And another important point is that the red light therapy not only induced significantly greater reductions in creatine kinase activity and blood lactate levels, but the reductions occurred seemingly irrespective of high or low post-treatment values. So this indicates that the greater difference in change of the red light therapy group cannot be explained as a regression to the mean phenomenon, but it suggests that red light therapy causes a true reduction in the levels of these biochemical markers. Also, 
cold water immersion did not change any of the biochemical markers of recovery employed in this study. Several procedural factors could contribute to the non-significant results, such as too short of time of treatment, again, five minutes, or non-optimal water temperature, which they had at about five Celsius, you know, plus or minus one degree. However, previous studies investigating the effects of cold water immersion therapy and recovery after exercises have used a variety of parameters, and there's no consensus uh, that exists for optimal treatment parameters, so they just use the best thing or the best information that they had at hand, which was water temperature of about 5 degrees Celsius. Again, blood lactate levels and creatine kinase activity decreased significantly after treatment with red light therapy in their study. And the observed decrease in blood lactate levels after red light therapy may have been caused by an increase in microcirculation previously observed in healthy muscle tissue after uh, red light therapy. And this could have also contributed to the observed decrease in creatine kinase activity. And that's something we know about red light therapy. That's one of the main mechanisms that leads to many benefits seen with red light therapy it's reduced inflammation. It's improved circulation, and it's optimized mitochondrial health. So they're saying that the reduced blood lactate levels and the reduced creatine kinase activity could be due to the increased microcirculation because red light therapy helps with nitric oxide production, vasodilation, thus improved circulation or microcirculation, same thing. Also, lactate accumulation is a good indirect indicator of increases in hydrogen proton and decreases in blood and cellular pH, which lead to metabolic acidosis. And I talk about this all the time. Increased protons is going to lead to increased inflammation because inflammation is that. It's an abundance of protons, not enough electrons. If we induce or somehow add many electrons to our body, we're going to change the ratio from high protons, low electrons to at least neutralize it, if not have more electrons than protons, thus you're going to reduce inflammation because you're getting rid of the protons. And you're also going to go from an acidic environment to a more neutral or alkaline environment, which is what our cells in our body wants. They're noticing that with the lactate accumulation, there's an increase in hydrogen protons and thus a decrease in blood and cellular pH, thus the metabolic acidosis. Therefore, enhancement of these biochemical markers can indicate an increased risk to injuries and positive effects observed in blood lactate levels and creatine kinase activity after red light therapy indicates a faster recovery after exercise test. So just like I alluded to, by introducing electrons, this can be through red light therapy, structured water, grounding, amongst other things, you're bringing in free electrons and thus you're rebalancing the electron to proton ratio. Thus, you're going to have less lactic acid. You're going to have less inflammation. You're going to go from a low cellular pH of metabolic acidosis to a more neutral alkaline state. And thus, your recovery is going to be enhanced. And they go on to say, red diodes could promote increased microcirculation in skin and infrared diodes could increase ATP synthesis and decrease oxidative stress in exercised muscles, leading to improvement in short-term recovery. And the conclusion of the study, which you can probably guess by what we've talked about, is that five minutes of red light therapy with the parameters employed in the study 
was more effective than placebo red light therapy to reduce levels of some biochemical markers that are, that are related to muscle recovery after wind gate cycle test. We found no significant effect of cold water immersion with the used parameters over placebo red light therapy. The effectiveness of cold water immersion to enhance muscle recovery remains uncertain and further studies are needed to test cold water immersion with different parameters. Red light therapy seems to be a potential tool to improve muscle recovery after exercises. However, further studies are needed to test their LED uh, red light therapy effects after different exercise tests and if red light therapy has possible influence on performance during the recovery period. So, in conclusion of the study, red light therapy was superior to cold water immersion. Cold water immersion was not even superior to placebo red light therapy with the parameters that they were measuring. But we do need to remember that with this piece of research, they used six people. That is very, very low. You would need to have dozens, dozens more people in a study like this to have stronger results. You know, with the six people they used, they seem to have found that red light therapy is more effective than cold water immersion for post-exercise or post-high-intensity exercise recovery. So it's just food for thought. It's very interesting, especially with, again, as popular as cold water immersion, cold water plunges have gotten. There's many benefits, and I've talked about this in previous podcasts. There's many mitochondrial benefits to cold water plunges, cold water immersion, but this article does bring up a decent point, albeit with six subjects, that it may not be as advantageous post-exercise for recovery and that red light therapy clearly is superior. Again, with only six subjects, I'd love to see something similar to this, but with many more subjects included. So let's move on to our other two pieces of research that have come out this month in August 2021. The first one is the efficacy of near-infrared dental lasers on dental hypersensitivity, a meta-analysis of randomized controlled clinical trials. This came out August 3rd. The article says, with a relatively new approach, laser therapy claims to be beneficial while having immediate and long-lasting effect. Therefore, our analysis aims to explore the immediate and one-month efficacy of near-infrared laser therapy in treating dental hypersensitivity. And so, the near-infrared laser therapy led to statistical significant reduction in immediate and one-month follow-up visual analog scale scores, which is pain scores, so sensitivity scores, uh, compared to placebo treatment. These findings suggest that near-infrared laser therapy does have a significant immediate effect in reducing dentin hypersensitivity compared to placebo or no treatment. Furthermore, this effect is not diminished and endured at one month follow-up. So pretty cool, because I know hypersensitive or, or sensitive teeth can be a pretty big deal. I dealt with that well into my adult life, well before I found red light therapy, but this research is showing that with near-infrared laser, and I don't have the full PDF for this research article since it just came out a couple weeks ago, but it seems that a single treatment of near-infrared laser therapy led to a statistical significant reduction in sensitivity and results were still there one month later. So that's pretty powerful. And then the second article, which also came out in August of 2021, this one is viability of photobiomodulation therapy in decreasing orthodontic-related pain. 
a systematic review, and meta-analysis. So both of these are very strong pieces of research because they include a meta-analysis, and this one's also a systematic review. And with this one, it says to assess the viability of photobiomodulation therapy to decrease in orthodontic-related pain after several different orthodontic procedures. And so the conclusion was of this systematic review and meta-analysis that photobiomodulation therapy demonstrated to be effective in advancing pain reduction after elastomeric separators placement, canine retraction, and arch wire placement within one week. For those going through orthodontic procedures related to separators, tooth removal, in this case canine retraction, and then arch wire, which is used for, for braces, red light therapy was able to reduce pain significantly within one week. And that, that's a pretty cool piece of research because it shows that red light therapy is not only effective for one type of pain. Let's say it's only effective for tooth removal. No, it also helps with pain related to uh, separators being placed in your mouth or braces being put in your mouth. I mean, there's a lot of people dealing with aches and pains when it comes to all types of orthodontic procedures. And so this systematic review and meta-analysis is clearly pointing to the fact that red light therapy can really help reduce your pain. Again, non-invasive, no pharmaceuticals necessary, just simply the power of light. And so again, this is just a quick reminder that the BioLite Guardian integrates both red and near-infrared light into its mouthpiece. And it's a lower intensity, so it's a low and slow treatment based on a lot of this type of research. And so both with the dental hypersensitivity, yes, used near-infrared light only, but the Guardian integrates near-infrared. And then for anything post-orthodontic surgery-wise, seems to help reduce pain. Very simple, non-invasive treatment. And that's just the beauty of red light therapy. And that's, you know, orthodontic pain and, you know, oral health is not the only way um, the red light therapy can help in such an amazing way. It's just one of the many, many ways. And it's exciting because, again, those are two pieces of research this month showing how efficacious, effective, and safe red light therapy is. So I hope this quicker episode kind of gave you, again, a better appreciation, a better well-rounded perspective on red light therapy, both learning from Dr. Michael Hamblin about how Red light therapy is a modulator, if anything. It's not an enhancer or a depressor. It's a modulator. And you can get systemic benefits with red light therapy. Also, the way that you can get increased melatonin production is not via the pineal gland, but rather through different extra pineal organs in the body. So when you're doing full body treatments or even spot treatments, let's say on your skin or certain organs, you're going to help with melatonin production. You're going to help with circadian rhythm. And then today we learned that red light therapy may be more um, efficacious for post-exercise recovery when compared to cold water immersion. And then we learned two other ways that red light therapy can be very beneficial as it relates to oral health, both with dental hypersensitivity and decreasing orthodontic-related pain. So I hope you guys found this interesting. Hope you found it useful. We're going to have many more exciting podcast guests coming up in the next several weeks here. There's just been a couple of solo shows because you can imagine during the summertime, a lot of people traveling, tougher to get people on for interviews. But no worries. You're not going to have to worry <laughs> about listening to me blabble on for uh, too much longer here. We're going to have a lot of good interviews. But again, hope you guys are enjoying your summer, having a wonderful time. 
while you can, especially if you're in the northern part of the U.S., soak up that sun before it goes away for the fall and winter. And we'll uh, keep on learning about red light therapy as the research comes out and, and for many more health, wellness, longevity, and biohacking experts. So that concludes this episode. And this is Dr. Mike Belkowski signing off another fabulous episode of the Red Light Report. Hope you all have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Red Light Report. If you like what you heard today, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes and other podcast platforms to help spread the word so other people can learn about the many health, wellness, and longevity benefits of red light therapy. If you're looking for more educational content, check out our Instagram page at biolight.shop and our YouTube channel, Biolite. I'm Dr. Mike Belkowski, and I'll see you on the next episode.